0: What's up everybody welcome to draft chat this is episode number 51 my name is Zach I'm one of your hosts and joining me as per
1: usual senior Ben Fisher what's up dude so uh usually when I listen back to the podcast which I do every once in a while I'll skip like everything but me talking uh because that's what I really want to that's what you know that's what the people want to uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna stop <laughs> uh this is a bad segue into the fact that you shouldn't skip over our intro this week because it's really important and there's going to be some key information that all of you are going to want to listen to pertaining to our anniversary which is coming right up. So, as tempting as it might be to, to skip over both of our voices and just get to the the meat of the show, uh, I recommend sticking around.
0: Yeah, as as for the meat of the show this week, we're talking about something unusual. We're going back to mental magic, so We're getting, I think this is the third installment there in that series. Last week, we talked about the numbers, right? We talked all about data. This week, we're talking about how to ignore
1: all that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally anti-spike mentality. We went a little too hard in one direction. Kind to even it out.
0: More on that in a bit. But before we get to all that, of course, we've got some housekeeping as per usual. First up, the Discord. If you're not in the Discord, definitely check that out. The link is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter That's the best place to go to talk with us, talk with our community, stay involved in all the things going on in the world of DraftChaff, as well as just limited magic as a whole. We also have a bunch of different constructed uh, channels open over there, LFG kind of channels for people to put together little groups of, of games and such, and we have people all over the world listening, lots of different time zones, so there's bound to be somebody who's interested in trying to set up a game or two here and there in your time zone as well. If you're interested in supporting the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pod. That is our only sponsor and really keeps us doing this uh, week in and week out. And we're coming up on a year, as Ben mentioned. We've got some updates on the anniversary and such, and we really I can't expect we would be here after a full year without the support of all of our listeners here, especially our patrons. So thank you all for the support. If you are interested in checking that out, definitely go go over to the Patreon and see how you can support us there. We've got a bunch of different tiers over there involving uh, some things like stickers, access to show notes, custom deck building opportunities with us, access to uncut and unedited versions of the show. And uh, now all of our stuff's up on YouTube, and we're going to be expanding some of the things to the Patreon. I'm not going to mention what those are just yet, but right around the turn of the anniversary here, we're going to be attempting to expand some things on the Patreon, so definitely keep an eye out on that. Everybody who's already a patron will, will you know, be, have access to those expansions. It's not d- not something that you have to wait for, necessarily. So, with that, on to our special announcement. So, we are coming up to our our anniversary episode, right? It's first week of June, basically. We had a guest on last week, so we didn't want to mention it there. We didn't want to take away the time. But here's kind of the lay of the land for our anniversary episode before we get into all the usual stuff for today's episode. What we're planning to do is have a sort of look back at our first year as a podcast. Ben and I are going to kind of reminisce about how the show got started and all of the things leading up to where we are now. But we also wanted to involve the listeners. So we're going to do a mailbag. And this time around, we did a mailbag for Christmas. But this time around, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're also going to accept not only direct message or uh, text-related questions, we're also going to accept audio questions. So feel free to record yourself... Send us those audio files at draftchaffpod at gmail.com. We're going to add them to the show so you yourself can be part of the show for our big anniversary episode. It's probably going to be a long one. We're going to try to include as many questions as we can and really expect it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're interested in hearing yourself on the show or just kind of being pseudo immortalized in in the show in the realm of draftchaff, definitely send us audio clips. We're really excited to see what comes in
1: through all that. And just a side note. We would take anything. If it's not a question, if it's something like feedback or you just kind of want to say hi, we would absolutely love to hear that, too. Uh, and the second thing, isn't it the week before the first week in June? Right now? No, like the, the anniversary episode. No, it's the week before
0: the first week of July, but right now it's the first week of June as we're recording.
1: Oh, my God. I thought it was May.
0: <laughs> oh, it's, that's right. It it's did okay. turn June. You'll catch up eventually. <laughs>
1: We've had this non-stop back and forth about when is our actual anniversary. It's true. We'll probably
0: get into that a lot more on the actual anniversary episode, though, because that there is a whole lot there with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So with that, onto our crack and draft type thing, Ben, I think this is a cube pack. Walk us through it.
1: Yeah. So we've got an interesting one. The Arena Cube is up online right now. It's up for, uh, I think, another week and a half or so. And I have been just drafting the heck out of this thing because the Arena Cube is awesome. This time around, uh, I mean, it's been uh, expanding ever since they added it. Not gonna lie, I still miss the first iteration where red-green stuff was broken, and I just drafted it every time, and it was nuts. But I guess it's pretty balanced now, and you can really do a lot of interesting things. There's a reanimator deck floating around in there now. Uh, Some other additions have been uh, this mono-black deck that I think has gone way up in strength recently uh, with the addition of some, some of the newer stuff, but... Taking a look at this pack, I've got a pack 1, pick 2. Now, my first pick was a relatively weak and niche pick. I took a Thassa's Oracle out of a kind of meh pack. Uh, Thassa's Oracle is a really mechanically unique card. The only other card that does something like it in this cube is Jace. But Thassa's Oracle is a good blink target. So I figured it's kind of a fun thing to pick up. You can start going in a cool direction. I love the blink decks, and I figured something fine to pick up. Now, here in pack 2... Uh, we see a pretty scattered pack. There's not anything that really sticks out that pairs super well with the Oracle. So, just kind of reading off the names uh, Bowser's Lieutenant, Doomblade, Drakaseth, Maul Flames, Pelt Collector, Primal Might, Return of the Wild Speaker, Witch of the Moors, Woe Strider, Blossoming Marsh, Illyrios Enraptured, Beanstalk Giant, Chainer's Edict, Bruin Crab, and Disdainful Stroke. So, a lot of stuff going on in this pack. What jumps out to you? for sure dracoseth just because my mind
0: immediately goes back to the days where you could very easily reanimate this in the actual format that it was in uh for mm. limited um and it's a great reanimator target obviously it doesn't pair super well with Thassa's oracle but it kind of does if you end up in like a sultai reanimator or, uh, sorry a grixis reanimator deck witches of the more is pretty awesome have really liked that card woe striders decent i don't hate just picking up like the Blooming Marsh and and jamming as many lands early on as I can. Beanstalk Giant tends to be pretty playable. Doomblade is (laughs) Doomblade. So a lot of things are kind of standing out to me. None of them really pair super well with the Thassa's Oracle, but I don't think you actually care (laughs) right now. It's far too early and far too niche of a card to be sticking your flag down on that. Disdainful Stroke is fine. There are a lot of really big targets for that card here in this format, and so I wouldn't be upset with sticking to blue and trying to take like basically just take this disdainful stroke i don't think you necessarily even want the ruin crab here there is Mm -hmm. a mono blue mill your opponent deck like an actual mill deck that you can put together but obviously if you're milling your opponent you're not doing the thoughts oracle thing so you're kind of giving up on that pick as well i think personally i would have just taken the blooming marsh and tried to keep myself open as long as possible dracoseth witch of the moors blooming marsh disdainful stroke probably my top picks here but yeah i think i just take the blooming marsh uh to just try to stay open
1: yeah lands have become really important in this cube there's a lot of multiple pipped cards uh and if you wind up in in a certain deck like uh, red white and black white are both significantly worse than any of those monocolor decks they're playable but they're worse and to actually be able to play them you really need those those dual lands i i've had what could have potentially been very strong black-white decks, but when they don't have any dual lands, they just don't get there in the end. So picking up the green-based ones are good, too, because they pair really well with stuff like Field of the Dead and Golos and Ulvenwald Hydra, all of which are in this cube. Yeah, I think the correct pick here, it's really hard to say. Uh, I like Woe Strider, Blooming Marsh, Disdainful Stroke is solid, Channer's Edict and, and kind of pairs with Doom Blade, both just good solid removal spells, but I didn't take any of those. I took the Witch of the Moors, and this is a good segue into our topic for this week. Now, for those that don't know, uh, Witch of the Moors, it says if at the beginning of your end step, if you gained life this turn, each opponent sacrifices a creature and you return a creature from your graveyard to your hand, which is a really strong effect that, I mean, it, it's kind of like a little baby shield druid, right? Not to mention it's a 5 mana 4-4 four, four death touch. This thing can brawl on its own. It's a life gain build around. I took it because I thought it looked kind of fun. And I wasn't sure if this was a deck in the cube. This is one of my first drafts of of the the new cube. And I wasn't sure how well life gain would be supported. Uh, If mono black life gain could be a thing. If like little triggers from Bastion of Remembrance or Blood Artist would be enough for this. Uh, Or if you needed some sort of like black white dedicated life gain deck. Where you're playing Heliod and, and other stuff like that. Which I hadn't seen come together yet. So I took the witch because I thought hey. This might be kind of fun. Maybe it'll happen to be open. Uh, it's a very rare deck to get; doesn't come together very often. But seemed kind of cool. Uh, funnily enough, I didn't end up playing that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's totally a thing that I really like to do as well at the beginning of a new cube format. Generally speaking, I I have, and this is something we're gonna we're gonna jump into here in this episode. But I do have that thought of like, am I gonna win deck win games with this? Floating around at like close to the forefront of my mind probably somewhere in the middle <laughs> not quite mm-hmm. the back of my mind um and so i would be thinking like do i want to speculate on a pick this early if i don't know the deck can come together but yeah totally cool i i'm ex i'm kind of happy to see you pick or surprised i guess but also excited to see that you picked like two kind of build around e cards for your first couple picks and then you're just like none, neither of them really work well together but you're just trying to see like what's you know what's what? What kind of shenanigans can I do in this in this draft? Like, what are people going to feed me? So that that's pretty cool.
1: You know when you're taking a multiple choice test and there's two answers that are like logically linked, and you but you don't know what the answer to either is. So you, let's say it's like two true or false questions that are functionally equivalent. So you put true on one and false on the other because it guarantees you 50 percent right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. essentially what I did here. Except uh, it's a little more complicated than that. I ended up taking uh, after this. I, I got. Uh, a late Elspeth Conqueror's death, and a Yorian. And it ended up being a pretty sweet Bant Yorian flicker deck. It it had uh, everything you could want, Thassa and and all the goods, uh, Skyclave Apparition. It was gross. I ended up trophying with it. And the poor Witch of the Moors sat in the sideboard and watched. But uh, (laughs) maybe next time, Witch of the Moors, I'll I'll make you work at some point. Indeed, indeed.
0: All right, with that, on to our Teferi Tibble. If you're new to the show or haven't heard this before, this is the section of the show where Ben and I kind of talk about a low and a high from the past week. Uh, usually you might hear of this as something like Roses and Thorns. Typically this is magic related, but often isn't. Um, so Ben, why don't you kick us off with your Teferi Tibble?
1: Right, so Teferi-wise, uh, I got some some deck building inspiration for the first time in a while. I've been kind of beaten down by school recently. It's getting to the end of the year. I guess I can side in my table real quick. Final grades are due much sooner than I thought they were. My school is going kind of late this year, so the, the final grades being due snuck up on me, and it turns out they're due not too long after I stop giving assignments. So I, I guess uh, that's what I get for giving work up until the, the bitter end. But, you know, gotta get things done. Gotta teach these kids physics or whatever. So in the meantime, I've been trying to find time to to work on this stuff, and I got a few deck building ideas that I just kind of jumped into. A new commander deck... Uh, nethroy Apex of Death, which has been a lot of fun trying to find, uh, I'm trying to break it by getting like creatures with zero power, but they're like 10 or 12 mana. So I, I'm like trying to cheat in big creatures with Nethroy There's some really dumb shenanigans you can do with that. Casual deck wise, I just ordered a bunch of <laughs> werewolves <laughs> because I've been playing magic after school some days with a fellow teacher and some students and Uh, I brought my old werewolf deck. I don't know if you've probably seen that one, Zach, right? You remember that thing? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's ancient, but it's mostly full of Draft shaft. And I looked at it and I'm playing like four mana, three twos with a four mana activated ability. I'm like, oh my God, I can do better than this. (laughs) So I ordered a bunch of like werewolf lords and and, uh, build arounds and things. So I'm going to upgrade that deck. And I was feeling pretty good about it. And uh, last but not least, I've been... Like hovering over the, the add to cart button on Stoneforge Mystics for so long. I think uh, as in-person events start to come back, I might, I mean, I still have my trusty rock deck, but that's probably not going to get too much edits. Uh, I think I might try to hope to open a few of these, uh, like a grief or a subtlety or something, and, and test out this new black-white Stoneforge uh, nonsense ephemerate deck that's going around. Because if if you haven't, uh, I, I had the, uh, the chance to, in a test game against that that teacher in a proxied match I had the chance to turn one ephemery against Jund's death shadow and it was just it was just unwinnable for, for Jund <laughs> Very but nice. hopefully uh, I win the lottery and then I can do all of these things <laughs> there you go
0: well for me this week my teferi this week is that I've got a pretty big camping trip coming up I'm really excited for it we're leaving actually the day this episode releases so if you're listening to this on the day of release, I'm probably on the road. It's like 10 of us from college just all going down to Virginia to hang out and do some kayaking and boating and camping and stuff. It's going to be a really great, great time. We're going to be there for five days, so super excited for that. I will probably not have much connection to the outside world during that time. I don't think that the campsite we're going to has any, like, Wi-Fi or or you know data access from our phones and such so probably not gonna be reachable but it's gonna be it's gonna be super fun i'm very excited you're
1: gonna come back and uh, the discord will be in shambles
0: oh geez yeah i mean if i'm leaving you to run anything it's gonna be it's gonna be problematic
1: <laughs> look i'm not the best babysitter <laughs> but
0: <laughs> you teach for a living isn't that the same thing <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, but uh, at, when I get them, they're old enough that I can hand them like a projectile launcher and trust them they can <laughs> use effectively. But I don't see why babies shouldn't be able to do the same thing.
0: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Probably have about the same impulse control anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my Tybalt this week, though, is... So, I-, I don't know if I actually mentioned it on the show. I know I mentioned it in the Discord, but I ordered one of the Ultra Pro Mystical Archive playmats. Right, so Ultra Pro ran like this limited print of their of playmats with the Mystical Archive art on them. You could only buy them, I think it was till June 1st uh, or, or May 31st or whatever. It was like the last day of May you were allowed to, to order them. So I picked up the Lightning Bolt one. The Lightning Bolt Mystical Archive art was fantastic. I really, really liked it. So I picked that up, and like almost three weeks ago, I got an email from Ultra Pro saying that it was delivered. So I went to, to the, my lobby, and there's no package. So I asked the concierge because it mm. says that it was delivered to the front desk. I asked the concierge, Hey, um, I, I had a delivery yesterday. Like, I, I don't see it in the locker system. Uh, do you guys have it in the back or something? Or is it out here? Because my building gets a ton of packages all the time. And they're usually like, if they aren't in the locker system, they're like just piled up in the lobby or they put them in this like back room. And the guy, the concierge, like looks something up on the computer and he's like, Yeah, we have no record of, of any packages for your, bu- for your unit. I was like, I'm sorry, mm. what? They're like yeah, we just don't. We never got that. And I was like, but they say they delivered. And they're like, yeah, they do that. I'm like, uh, okay. So <laughs> fast forward what are we to, to do that. <laughs> I know, right? And he's like, yeah, call the dup. Call call the shipper. Like whoever whoever the shipping company was, call them and tell them you didn't get it. Hmm. Like, okay. Um. But anyway, fast forward to today. I have. I since reached out to ultra pro cause they have like a thing in the email they send that says it was delivered to say, Hey, if it wasn't actually delivered, you know, contact us here. I reached out to them like a week ago and I still have not heard anything back. So I don't know if I'm just out the money for this playmat, if I'm ever actually going to get the playmat or what, but
1: it's, it's yeah. not a
0: fun experience.
1: No, I wouldn't say so. Especially cause it's limited print run. It might eventually get through and then it, they might eventually be like, all right, we'll send you a replacement. And they go and look and they're just out. That would Could suck. Be. Could be. I'm pretty sure they were printed to order.
0: So uh, that, that might not make sense because they did pre-orders for a while. I'm not sure how they handled it, but uh, you can't buy them now. So uh, like on in primary markets, I'm sure there's a secondary market for them. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually going to get it. And I'm kind of sad. I also don't know when I'll use it because I don't know when I'll be back <laughs> in person with a playmat. But,
1: you know, Oh well, we're going to crack our uh, our MH2 together, right? That's true. Yes.
0: All right, on to our listener question of the week. This one comes from Dorgan, longtime listener. Thanks for the question. Dorgan asks: Modern Horizons has cards using two mechanics from different sets. Are there any mechanics you think would be fun to put on a single card together? This is a great question.
1: I don't know if this is uh, going a little too deep, but flying and vigilance could go pretty well on a black green card.
0: Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anybody? Oh man, I should link that article in the Discord. People get a good time out about that. It was it was part of like the Great Designer Search. Do you remember that whole yeah, uh, kerfuffle? Yeah. Wizards essentially came out saying like, uh, if, if it, it was like a quiz you could take to see how good a card designer you could be, and one of them was like, uh, a creature is designed and it, the creature has flying and vigilance. What color pair is this most likely to be? And it's obviously blue white. There are so many blue white creatures that have flying and vigilance. But then there was so there was some nonsense about, like, secondary and primary color mechanics. And they were like, no, that'd be a black-green creature. And that just would literally never happen. So Yeah, and uh, I
0: don't think it has since then either, which is the funny part. Like, I can't recall any black-green flying vigilant creatures that they've printed. Yeah. Maybe there is one, oh. but off the top of my head, I can't think of any.
1: <laughs> it would have been funny to put one of those in Modern Horizons. Just like a that would a been be hilarious.
0: I would have <laughs> loved that. Been really
1: funny. But uh, as far as actual mechanics um honestly what comes to my mind is things that interact profitably with the graveyard and then so, so like a graveyard incentive and then a graveyard payoff kind of stapled together on one card so maybe something along the like i've always loved unburial rights because of its redundancy maybe something along that that those lines where it works both from your hand and the graveyard so i'm thinking something along the lines of like a creature that has blood rush Uh, which you could discard it and like it would usually buff an attacking creature it's kind of like a pump spell stapled onto a creature so maybe like a card that has blood rush but also eternalize Mm. pretty sweet something like that or like cycling and eternalize they've done that a few times Uh, those are some always always pretty nice designs in fact they did that in in modern horizons didn't they man they Uh, they may have i don't don't know that off the top of my head yeah i think the, the white dragon uh it has like cycling i think it has plane cycling and eternalize or something but um, yeah, how about you? Any any particular mechanics?
0: Yeah, so it's actually funny that you mentioned those two, or or sort of that theme of mechanics, because you're very much a graveyard player at heart. Like, that is kind of the thing. that Definitely. The, the value graveyard shenanigans is the thing that you kind of like to do. Both of the mechanics I picked actually have to do with card draw and or stacking the top of your deck, which <laughs> is hilarious because it's just, like, very polarizing. Like, clearly... Sure yeah exactly so the two i picked actually i think it'd be awesome to see a card with miracle and foretell on it because you could cast it for the cheap cost and if you drew it for the turn and then if you drew it at a secondary point in the turn you could just foretell it huh. and cast it cheaper later it's kind of like attempt at the same mechanic in different time periods i don't know I, I think it'd be pretty cool to see though
1: hmm yeah i'm trying to think of other mechanics that like naturally kind of do the same thing maybe kicker and adventure how would that work maybe like a, all right it's, it's gonna get weird because <laughs> there, there's gonna be some problems with this but yeah
0: you could do the same like the same kind of puzzle with like an mdfc that has adventures on it or it's like if you cast the adventure oh. do you also get to cast either of the two sides after you've gone on an adventure like oh, how, do, how does that work
1: oh you know what i got a pretty good idea hear me out it like dfc's But it's like a, it's a different land on both sides. So one side could tap for blue and the other side could tap for red. (sighs) You can call it like... Wizards hire this guy. (laughs) But in all honesty, there probably is some DFC space left to explore. Meld never really got to see its its time in the sun either. What are there, like four cards in Magic that have meld? Or I guess it's a few more than that, but they meld with each other
0: right 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 i think there are four pairs of meld cards
1: let's see we can do this no it's it's the rats it's the scavengers and the rats yeah it's the hammer hammer battlements which is like the land version yep. and then the creature it's bruna and gisella and then was there one more i'm fairly certain there are four but i can't remember off the top of my head eh, i don't know something like that but meld could probably use uh some kind of boost uh, it was really cool, like, flipping uh, multiple cards into a bigger card. Like, if you yeah, haven't it was, played it against fun. meld, what, what, what kind of mechanic could that pair well with, maybe? Meld with tutors would be cool, because you
0: could, like, actually tutor out the card that you're trying to meld with.
1: Oh, meld with, um, what was that, partner? Partner would be interesting, yeah. That'd yeah. be cool. Constructed playable partner cards. That'd be neat. Yeah. I don't think we have those. Well, besides in, in like, Vintage, but... Sure, sure, sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, Battle Bond was a thing, but...
1: Yeah. Anyway, sweet question, Dorgan. Absolutely.
0: All right, on to our main topic. So, as we mentioned, last week, we talked with Viral Misnomer from 17 Lands about using data to drive your decisions when it comes to magic. If you haven't heard that episode, strongly encourage you to go back to last week and, and check that out. That was episode 50. It was a really cool conversation with Rob over there from 17 Lands. This week, though, we want to focus on... The fun aspect of Magic, playing for fun rather than playing for wins. And to that effect, we're kind of we're going to make some controversial takes probably because most limited content wants you to focus on how to win more, and a lot of people get fun out of winning more. Totally understandable. I do the same. But as our name implies, sometimes it's kind of just nice to sit back, enjoy the little things, or just plain dumb fun things that are stupid, but you just put a smile on your face. We want to take a look at the idea of playing for fun and see how we can kind of balance that with our desire to win games. So, first off, do I want to play for fun? Do we even want to play for fun?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a weird question, but it's a necessary one to ask yourself. So Magic the Gathering is a game. Sometimes we forget this, uh, given that it, it takes up like a good chunk of our, our free time, but uh, it is essentially a game. You know, there's other games out there. Yahtzee, uh Nope, that's it. (laughs) Uh, So there's two games out there. And if you had to pick, you'd probably pick Magic. (laughs) Oh, jeez. But some people take the game more seriously than others, right? So like a a game uh, between like Polo and LSV looks really different than a game, say, between Zach and I on uh, on a kitchen table. For example, Polo and LSV are are approximately evenly matched.
0: Right. Well, I'm way better than you, so... (laughs)
1: I was going to let that one simmer for a bit. (laughs) But the ultimate goal of a game should be trying to have fun, right? You could argue that maybe some people are in it for the money. I don't think they're listening to our podcast, though. So they're probably over listening to somebody else. Uh, It's really important to ask yourself, how do I have the most fun? I think everybody wants to play for fun, right? But maybe the question that we should be asking is, how do I maximize my fun?
0: Yeah. And I want to make a quick distinction here. You know, we mentioned there briefly just like that a game between Paulo and LSV looks different than a game between, you know, me and Ben playing at the kitchen table. I think the kitchen table is the more interesting aspect of that or the more the more specific aspect of that, because a game between Paulo and LSV at the kitchen table probably looks very similar to a game (laughs) between two other friends playing the game for no stakes. Their buddies, I imagine they play for fun and do some shenanigans, but them at the pro tour. Or worlds, or something like that, is very different than than yeah. you know two friends playing a kitchen table. So just wanted to put that that distinction in there. Also, I think you know this question of how do I maximize the most fun is spurring kind of a little bit of a reminder in my head about conversations I've seen on the internet between people playing Magic, and you'll see somebody who will make a will make a statement something along these lines: "Man, I really just hate Magic. I've been losing constantly and." it's not any fun. I need to win games. And somebody will come along and say, why are you still playing? Right? I think that's a fair question to ask yourself. If you find yourself in a rut or you just genuinely are coming away from the table frustrated, coming away from your computer frustrated every time you sit down to play Magic, this is a question you need to be asking yourself. How, how do I enjoy this game? Because if all you're doing is being miserable every time you step away from, from the game, you probably just shouldn't play. And I think... A lot of games do this, but I've noticed it in particular with Magic players. For some reason, there's this this there's this component where we feel like we have to be playing Magic, even though we're not getting any fun or enjoyment out of it. It's a very strange phenomenon. I don't know how to explain it, really, but I doubt I'm the only one who's noticed this.
1: Yeah, that's not really playing a game. That's more like a like an unpaid internship. It's yeah. just a really awful job.
0: <laughs> yeah, So so when it comes to how do I have the most fun or how do I maximize fun... The answer to this tends to change when, like, we're playing in an arena open or some high-stakes tournament that there's cash on the line for, a GP maybe, you're in the pro tour or something, generally you're going to have the most fun if you make it to day two. Like, if you scrub out and you lose three games in a row at the arena open, it feels bad, and it's generally not very fun. But then when you're playing commander against friends, winning might be less important than doing something really awesome and different, or, like, doing the thing your deck was built to do. And that's you know, for me, one of the things I found with Commander in particular is there's a lot of politicking going on in Commander. If, you're, if you've never played Commander, check out some videos on it. You'll see it very quickly. It's a very politicky format. There's a lot of negotiation, trying to get resources from each other and protect each other and things like that. I'm very bad at that aspect of Commander, and I don't enjoy that aspect of Commander. So most of the decks I build either boost everybody else so I don't have to deal with, like, trying to get people on my side. I'll just help everybody out. And then if I die, I die, whatever. Or just completely screw the game up for everybody. Like my my chaos deck. It just doesn't care what anybody's doing. It just wants to make things wild and weird and wacky.
1: Irreparably damage the board state to the point where it cannot be <laughs> ever exactly. possibly recovered. Uh, the point where like even a, a full planar cleansing would just not be enough. <laughs> which exactly. as absurd as it sounds is definitely a thing that would happen so i think some people have the most fun when they are winning games like that is their i guess their their maximum uh, of fun when they win every single game that is their best time sure there's plenty of people out there that are like that some people don't care how many games they win they just want to have as much fun as possible by doing what they want to do uh, whether it's playing big creatures or drafting weird decks or doing things like that I will say that playstyle is usually bounded by how much money you have to invest in the game. Not everyone can just fire draft after draft without getting some kind of value back from it. But I would say most of us fall somewhere in between. I think most of us probably skew a little bit more towards the winning game side. After all, we're, Zach and I are making a podcast about Magic. You are listening to a podcast about Magic. So you probably care somewhat about how you do. Although, if you don't know for sure, I'd recommend trying to figure out where you fall on the spectrum, this spectrum that we're going to develop into a kind of like a crippled spectrum in a bit. But uh, do you really just want to win games or do you get that kind of rush of adrenaline out of doing something really cool?
0: Yeah. And again, most people probably fall somewhere on a spectrum here. It's not generally a, well, I found the answer to this question and that's just it. It typically will change. and I think actually that's something that's inherent to limited magic because- when it comes to Constructed, you look at, like, an older format. There's a high barrier to entry from a monetary perspective. Usually the decks for Modern or Legacy or Vintage or whatever are quite expensive. So there's there's a high barrier to entry, but once you have that deck, the upkeep cost is very low in most situations. Like, I, I, I play Spirits in Modern, almost never touch the deck. Like, I very, mm. very, very rarely make changes to it.
1: Because they never print good Spirits. <laughs> well, yes,
0: but... You know, you you mentioned the rock, like there are versions of decks you generally just don't have to touch. And if you're not going to high stakes tournaments, you have the deck around, you can play it with anybody. You can go to FNMs and have fun and that's it. You had some high barrier to entry, maybe, maybe a medium barrier to entry, but that's it mm-hmm. with limited. And I think this is the only drawback I would say to limited as a format is every time you play, you have to put up some kind of money, whether it's a resource that you already earned in arena or actual cash or whatever. In some way, shape, or form, you have to put up some form of resource in order to actually play the draft. And so if you scrub out of a draft immediately, you owe three a draft, it feels bad kind of inherently because you already had to put something into it. And I think that is part of why we see, myself included, so often people getting very upset when they lose a lot of drafts in a row or a lot of draft games in a row because... Well, you did have to pay for that, and you don't really get that aspect in constructed most of the time.
1: Yeah, if it's kind of like a casual modern FM, maybe you paid like a few dollars entry, but you get like a, a promo pack out of it or something. It's pretty low barrier. Um I think it's it's kind of funny that magic happens to have archetypes that already fit what we're talking about. Um in fact they're even printed on cards that have been featured in, in the unsets over the years. So what the kind of person that we're talking about uh, that wants to maximize their statistical efficiency when every single game is what you call a, a spike. Uh, so someone who's a spike wants to just uh, the, the actual phrase is, quote unquote, spike a tournament uh, where they uh, happen to play really well that day. They got just lucky enough and they got just the right matchups and they take down the tournament and then they go on to play in the pro tour and then they beat. Uh, LSV at worlds, and then they get their face on a magic card, and then they can uh, rest happy, I suppose. Um, when I think Spike, I think stuff like uh, th- these people have like full play sets of snapcasters and lilies, and they are always ready to go with whatever deck is gonna like they, they've got their four copies of every fetch that they're gonna use for no matter what, right? Um, and they're always keeping up to date on the most modern strategy and, and decks and buying into things, also can have a higher barrier of, barrier of entry. Um, I think I can have some spiky tendencies. Uh, I mean, when the when the uh, when the arena open comes around, I I go full spike mode. Uh, that that sweet two K, I gotta, I'm dreaming of that. someday it'll happen. But uh, I don't think most of us go full spike. Not and not in our corner of the Magic community, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And and to be clear, a spike typically, if you were to sum it up in like a, a short phrase, win rate is all that matters. Like that's what they're after is maximizing mm-hmm. their win rate, and that's it. At the end of the day, if the win rate isn't high or doesn't go up, I didn't do my job. Yeah, I would agree, Ben. Very few people I think that we interact with on a regular basis are spikes in any capacity, or I should say full spikes in any capacity. I think everybody is a spike at heart in some capacity because everybody wants to win games. <laughs> like Every so often, you want to win some games. But... I'd say, yeah we we probably are lower on that spectrum than than there are than some others, you know,
1: yeah, so continuing to move down the spectrum, which is it's kind of strange. there's three archetypes, and you could argue that they form more of a triangle for the sake of calling it a spectrum. i I, I guess you could also say they form kind of a gradient that's it's linear. um, so next in order, I guess, would be Johnny, and Johnny is a combo player, somebody that wants to. Combine the coolest things and likes trying to break an archetype or an underplayed rare. They want to be the one whose name gets posted on CFB, saying, "Oh, well, check out what this person did. This thing 5-0. Is this thing good?" And then the pros take a look and they they all start brewing and, and then it, it becomes a whole thing. So when I think uh, when I think of a, a Johnny, this is someone that wants to try to make Triskidekaphobia good. That's the uh, the old uh, Lucky Thirteen enchantment. If a player has thirteen life, they lose the game. and then it's it's a question of well, how do you get them with thirteen life? Oh, tree of perdition, or something like that. And then it becomes a whole a whole thing. I, I think uh more limited players tend to be Johnnys at heart because they want to, you know, take the take the picks that they think might be cool and then work it into an archetype and then try to figure out if this archetype is good or if that archetype is good. I think in in typical limited, like typical, strong, limited play, uh, you you fall somewhere between a spike and a Johnny, right?
0: I would say so. Yeah, I, I think most people who are trying to go to events that are basically above the F and M level are probably somewhere in between those two those two aspects. Not to say that Timmys don't play, and we're gonna get to Timmys in a second, but not to say that they don't play uh, you know those higher level tournaments. But at the end of the day, it's more of a hey, I just want to jam some some fun cards, and I'd probably put myself closer to the Johnny area on the spectrum combo stuff is really fun and and being innovative is fun i'm not a very great deck builder but that's why i like edh because it doesn't have to be good it just has to be f- like it can just be fun <laughs> and yeah. it can be unique and it can be a thing that you want it to be so yeah i think I, i'd put myself somewhere around there
1: last but not least is timmy uh which refers to somebody that just wants to have fun slam the coolest cards this is like gigantosaurus <laughs> You're you're playing like a 5 mana 10 10 because it's big uh this is someone who like who who is like starting to build blue black in, in draft and then they see a Baneslayer Angel and they just jump into it because it's like oh my god it's a Baneslayer Angel of course I have to play Baneslayer Angel and there's nothing wrong with this um I have done my fair share of uh of timmying in fact uh in in the first few months of Historic when Historic just came out uh my mono green deck was about as timmy as it gets and I'm crushed with that deck uh, until they started printing good cards in historic and now it's, <laughs> it's no longer playable, <laughs> but th- there's a, there's a time and place for, for Timmy tendencies to kind of take the the reins of standard. I would consider something like, uh, like white weenie can sometimes be a Timmy deck,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, just kind of doing that, the fun archetype, having the, the, the thing that works out and it just happens to be good. And it, it it's cool. So instead of looking for synergies, this is more just like slamming individually cool cards, I think think i would say i i tend towards this on a more casual level so when i'm playing mm-hmm. commander or if i'm playing like a, a sealed event with friends or if i'm just like cracking a pre-release kit with with a friend then i i definitely go towards more the uh the the, the timmy uh, uh level for this yeah
0: yeah and i think i think that is to be expected i think most people probably follow this pattern of when i'm playing casually i'm further on the timmy side of the spectrum when i'm playing in in a high stakes event i'm more on the spike side because if it's high stakes you want to win like inherently that is buckled into the tournament type or the event type that said some people are just timmy's or johnny's through and through and whether they're in a high stakes event or not just want to make sure that they get to cast the cards they want to cast and it doesn't matter at the end of the day if they make day two or if they cash out as long as they get to cast the cards they want to cast they had their fun in my case, it's as long as I get to ca- counter as many of your spells as possible. I did my job, right? I joke, kind of, but I used to, <laughs> I used to actually joke that one of my favorite things to do in magic was say no. <laughs> so I'm having the most fun when my opponents are not playing the game. But I have a I have a note in here about people like you, but I'm getting to it. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I think I think to some degree that comes with the territory more casual settings tend to invite more casual mentalities and higher stakes settings tend to invite higher stakes mentalities. But again, there are some people and that I mentioned there are some Timmies and Johnnies who are that way through and through and will do, will just maintain that persona, so to speak in a high stakes event. There are also some spikes who will maintain that persona in a low stakes event. Most of the time uh. I find that behavior, not super fun, but that's for me. And it, might not be for somebody else
1: <laughs> oh my god I, uh, you remind me of a story i was playing at a modern event back when those things happened in paper and between rounds my opponent and i was kind of sitting around nothing to do and we both happen to have commander in, in, in our bags we just took out a commander decks and from across the room some some dude just runs up and he's like oh my god are you playing commander let me hop in and we were like yeah sure it's just gonna be a casual game like we were both playing casual commander decks i think i had i mean they were they were powered ca- like uh, casual. I was playing Marin. Uh, my opponent was playing, uh, I want to say, they were also playing Green Black. I forget what it was. It might have been Gitrog or something, but it was going to be like a fun grind fest, and we were just going to see what happened. Probably scoop it up before the next round started. So this dude sits down in front of us and pulls out yissen the Wanderer Bard, which, for those that don't know, is a top-tier competitive EDH general. And uh, we kind of look at it, and we're like, alright. So this guy proceeds to uh, play, play land in turn one, do some stuff on turn two. Then turn three, uh, he started comboing off. And it took like seven or eight minutes. Neither of us got another turn. <laughs> we ended up just having to like pack up our stuff as this guy was continuing to combo off because they had called pairings for next round. And that was so not fun. I think just reading the room a little bit better might have prevented that. Uh, maybe ha- had a, a little bit more fun overall. But that said that might have been
0: his way of having fun or their way of having fun. Like, who knows? I mean, I would say, I think it's... There is something to be said about zero-sum fun where, in a game at least, right? Because in a game that's competitive by nature, there is to some capacity... There is in some capacity the potential for zero-sum fun. But I don't think in Magic that it has to be zero-sum and... Uh, I I would urge you to look into ways that you can find enjoyment when your opponent also is, even if that means you're losing or not getting to do exactly what you wanted to do.
1: For sure. Yeah. uh, Sometimes you just have to sit back and go like, man, opponent had a pretty cool draw (laughs) or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I actually want to shout out Amazonian. A lot of you Mm. folks may know Amazonian from Twitch and Twitter and all that. Pretty renowned person in the community. They're really good at this. Like, There was a clip that was floating around recently where opponent was just doing the thing in in a limited format. I believe it was cube, but I I could be wrong about that. And Amazonian was just like laughing and cracking up and and, like saying how amazing it was that opponent was doing the thing that they were doing. And it's like that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to get to the heart of right here is figure out how to be able to do that. Like no matter Mm -hmm. what's happening in the game, whether you're winning, you're behind, you're losing, you're ahead, whatever it is
1: you're walking away with a smile on your face. Oh my God, we should invite Amazonian on, that'd be sweet. Noted. <laughs> Let's jot that down. But um, yeah, there's there's no wrong way to play magic, right? Uh, I guess the only one wrong way is if, uh, well, first of all, if you're cheating, that's kind of you know <laughs> assumed. But I guess the other wrong way is if you are truly like a diehard zero sum type where you're saying, I am going to make everybody I encounter have just the worst experience possible. In that case, go play Yahtzee. We don't want you in our game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, actively but, being a jerk is is never a good thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I guess just try to keep a, a good mindset, a good mentality about it. Just don't don't uh, don't be mean to people. You know, <laughs> uh, don't uh, BM your opponent when they're when they're winning or when they're losing. It shouldn't really matter. You know, I would say as long as you're having fun in a way that doesn't you know severely reduce the fun that other people are having, eh, sure. I mean, like, I'm just thinking if if that, that dude that came up to us at the FNM, if he wanted to, he could have just done that combo gold fishing all, like next to us and been like, look how cool this is <laughs> while well, we played an actual game. But, like, we made it pretty clear we were not playing competitive. And that's why we were kind of irked by it. We were like, well, this isn't fun. <laughs> this isn't really what we signed up for. And it was also kind of a waste of our time, which respecting people's time is, is awfully important. This is why roping is such a an awful thing uh to do to people and why it feels bad and why it's not fun to be on either side of really if you're roping someone i don't think you're having a good time either you know
0: yeah and i mean it's usually like active roping is usually spiteful uh, there are other reasons to be roped like maybe the person stepped up for a second they had to go tend to their kids or yeah. needed to grab a sandwich things like that happen and and that's fine or they're just tanking like they're, they're just genuinely thinking about what they're doing but yeah, actively roping tends to involve some amount of spite, and and that can't be fun for anybody. So, that said, there, there's an awful lot of content out there for Spikes. We love Spikes. You know, if you're a Spike and you're listening to the show, that's great. We're glad you're here. Thank you for, for listening. And especially when it comes to Limited, now that everything is so data-focused and we have sites like 17lands and plenty of amazing writers for Limited content. Of course, you've got podcasts like Limited Resources and Lords of Limited, Limited Level Ups. But then there's us, and... There are a lot of other ways to have fun playing Limited besides just spiking your next event and other related formats as well. So we're kind of going to step away from the spike territory. If you're a spike and you're listening, you're welcome to stay. Please listen in. Uh, But we're stepping away from that a little bit because we kind of tend to focus more on the the Johnny Timmy side of of the spectrum. And everything we're about to say comes with the assumption that you're okay sacrificing a bit of win percentage to gain some fun.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really think this is our brand, the uh, <laughs> the Johnny Timmy side of the, of the spectrum. So we wanted to just cover a few different ways that you can do this conversion of, of a little bit of win percentage for maybe a little bit of fun. And hey, it might not necessarily end in a drop in win percentage. Sometimes you end up uh, just having a little extra fun and winning a little bit more. Who knows what could happen? So first up is in just usual drafting, just classic limited main set drafts so don't be afraid to do weird stuff unconventional things someone had to be the first person to draft green white in strixhaven or blue black in strixhaven and it worked it doesn't work all the time but it sometimes works so this might mean taking like a, a weird build around card that might be undervalued or drafting a color pair that's kind of fallen off the map every once in a while when a color pair is like say really bad in the format you can wind up with a pretty sweet deck just because nobody else wants those good cards. Uh, this occasionally happened in uh, in Zendikar Rising with something like black-green. Occasionally, you would just wind up in a really sick black-green deck uh, that just had really high-value cards because nobody else was interested in it. So do the unconventional. Kind of go against the the grain a little bit. Plus, it's, you know really fun when you get to say, oh yeah, I had like five side leopards and just good black removal and I just crushed everybody. (laughs) Plus, if if you think a little further back in history, uh, those that remember Rivals of Ixalan, I don't know who the first person was to draft a five color blue-white base treasure splashing big butts deck with like a sailor of means and uh, the pterodactyl, but like whoever did that, they definitely didn't do that because they thought it was going to increase their win percentage, right?
0: Yeah, I mean... It it was actually a decent deck and it like came together some amount of the time. But yeah, I mean, stumbling into those things isn't something that typically like a spike is going to do unless, you know, you're at that point in the form later in the format. I think sometimes that changes up, but most of the time these things either happen by accident or because somebody deliberately stepped off the beaten path and decided I'm just going to I'm just going to go for it, you know,
1: mm-hmm. I-, I like to think back to the time I, uh. I put a Tetsamak Primal Death in one of those blue-white decks with, like, not a single Swamp in there. Ah, nice. good try.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so next up we have uh, Cube, right? So we just talked about traditional drafting. Cube is next up. First of all, just, you know, just pick whatever you want first pick. Like, that's generally how most draft formats go, but in Cube in particular, because of the relative power level of all the different cards in the format, like, you can kind of get away with picking anything you want and still not really worry about, like, what deck am I going to end up in? We kind of saw that in terms of our Kraken Draft type thing today. First pick, Dassa's Oracle. Okay, second pick, uh, Witch of the Moors. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. We're going to find a deck eventually, and it's going to be fun. So, especially with Cube, because Cube is just overall one of the coolest ways to play Magic, and just by merit of all the different unique archetypes that, that can actually see the light of day and be played to success... There are a lot of really fun things to be doing in most cube formats, especially where we're seeing like the higher powered cubes like Arena Cube or Vintage Cube. There are just a ton of things that you can be doing. And most people don't draft those formats an immense number of times. So if you don't take those opportunities to to draft those fun decks when you can, you're probably not going to. So you should give them a
1: shot. We can say as creators of a cube, um, which is out there and pretty fun, we put a bunch of nonsense in just because we could right? Like we we put in, we specifically set aside five slots uh, for one kind of like, we labeled it as the LOL card of the color. Meandering Tower Shell is our green one. Bearer of the heavens is the red one. So like these are cards that you would not typically want to take if you're trying to win the tournament. But if you want to do something really fun, well then these cards are for you. So take the hint that the cube creators are giving you. Those cards are in there for a reason. Nobody just tosses in a card because they think it it might be good, and they didn't think about what archetype it could go into. The people that made these cubes made them very carefully. I mean, we we put in support for five-color allies, for crying out loud. Like, just do some weird nonsense in cubes. Of course, if you want to try to just win the tournament, then yeah, first pick Cultivate, and then go from there. But you might just open a pack that has four different Planeswalkers in it. Just take your favorite one. Who cares? <laughs> they're all the same power level, then, then just do what you want to do. Have, have some fun with it
0: yeah and then that kind of leads us to a constructed format which we occasionally talk about on this show and that is commander and commander's probably the ultimate format for johnny's and timmy's and it's actually becoming probably the ultimate format for spikes too (laughs) but uh it really does have that all around sort of accommodating everybody sort of uh aspects and characteristics but it's also the perfect place to just send all of your paper draft chaff there are it's singleton so you've got to get a bunch of cards and you know some of your favorite archetypes archetypes from limited might have a corollary deck in edh there are a bunch of random legends that people play with especially nowadays that that they are they're printing legends pretty reliably at uncommon so you know there's just a ton of room you have to build a cool commander deck that really does the thing you want to do for instance the latest deck that i've been working on is uh, a guillaume master chef food deck i'm really into cooking mm. And it just, I, I don't know how I hadn't built this a, a while ago, to be honest, but <laughs> like there are just so many different ways that you can get synergy with, with food tokens. And we're, I'm really going all out on making this deck feel like a kitchen of sorts and like having different chefs in there, like a bus boy and you know, all those things. Like oh every, God, every card has great. a role, uh, hot, soup? hot soups in there. It's in gotta
1: there. gotta have hot soup in there. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. And, um, you know, so there are plenty of things you can do like that deck for me doesn't have to win games. It just needs to personify the reason I built it right it needs to for it to be a success for me and to feel like it like I'm having fun when I play it I need people across the table to be like oh that's so clever like that's doing the thing that yeah you know like that's where for me commander really really shines
1: a good game of commander is less about who wins and more about what happened during the game like when you ask like what happened, it almost reminds me of like a D and D campaign. Sometimes I think Commander is probably the closest thing to like role play that Magic has, uh, because of how your decks can kind of take that that unique identity. Sure, if you look at a competitive Commander deck, you're gonna see a lot of the same cards going around and everything. There, there's not too much nonsense in there. Um, but I mean, I have seen decks based on like movies, or uh, I actually toyed around with a deck one time that was based on an album that I really liked. So I've seen some really cool stuff. Uh, those that watch stuff like uh, Commander Clash have probably seen a lot of their like cool stipulations or, or that type of thing. But I think Commander actually pairs really well with Limited because it follows, somewhat paradoxically, a lot of the same deck building, I guess, ideas. So uh, if you have ever kind of thought about getting into Commander, but you've always been mainly a Limited player, I recommend it. You'd be surprised how how cheap you can get a Commander deck for especially now that a lot of the pre-cons are widely available and easy to modify into something that's more your style and a lot of them are
0: pretty good and actually print like decent cards in them too so if you can get your hands on on some of the pre-cons that's a great stepping stone to to make it into whatever it is that you want it to be Uh, and also if you haven't played commander yet and you don't really know what makes commander different as a format i would recommend checking out the game night's recent video on how to play commander it is amazing game nights never disappoint i feel like their their videos are always absolutely stellar so definitely check that out if you're interested in learning how to play commander
1: mm-hmm. or just like hop in the, the discord there's probably going to be some people in here that that are down to the fire gamer too also I, I feel like uh it's kind of an honorable mention i should mention kitchen kitchen table magic just like good old fashioned you've got like a younger cousin that bought a deck and it's it's full of land of War elves and like Uh, four mana four four commons from like 10 years ago and you're like all right time to do some of this stuff you don't want to bring your modern deck to to play against them you want to bring something a little more fun i personally love collecting just kind of these little decks that are just fun it's fun to have fun to jam against friends it's almost like a little like battle box of, of sorts i've got i mentioned earlier this werewolves deck which i guess is a little better now definitely not modern playable but I've got decks that I just keep around for fun. I've got like a Naya stompy deck that has all the old like shards of Alara Naya creatures in them just because it looks really cool. I recommend if you've got somebody in your life that might get a little turned off by all of the uh, the spiky stuff in magic. Someone that might potentially watch a game on Arena and go like whoa there's an awful lot of stuff happening here. Just hand them like a cat deck or like a uh, I have a mono blue flip deck uh, that's, you know, Delver of Secrets and how they mm-hmm. they kept printing like his successive uh, transformations into weirder and weirder mutated creatures. I made a deck around that. It's just fun to have. So uh, actually, that's kind of what my deck building uh, challenge on Patreon is about, too. But anyway, uh, I, I think uh, in conclusion, what can we say about, about all this?
0: essentially it all boils down to have fun figure out what makes you feel like you're having fun when it comes to magic or really anything in life if if you're not having fun and you don't absolutely need to do it you probably shouldn't be doing it Mm. most of the things that we do hobby wise are supposed to bring us joy and if it's not doing that maybe look for a new hobby and i know that's that's kind of tough to say given that we are making magic content and stuff but like if magic isn't a game that makes you have fun or doesn't really tick that box for you like maybe look at other games because despite ben's inability to list them there are more games than just magic and yahtzee uh
1: there's tiny leaders oh no that's still magic uh (laughs) also that format died years ago hey don't say that about my (laughs) anafenza that deck will never die
0: (laughs) all right well thank you so much for joining us this week that that pretty much does it for us again if you're interested in chatting more about these sorts of things anything related to commander limited modern basically any format at all check out the discord the link to that is in the episode description as well as our twitter page and once again if you're interested in supporting the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod you're not going to want to miss the things that are coming up on the patreon in year two for us speaking of year two just a reminder we are going we're currently accepting the questions for the mailbag part of our the anniversary episode. So definitely get those questions into us. There's a channel for that in the discord and you can also email us at DraftChaffPod pod with the audio clips for that as well. Uh, one thing we didn't mention at the beginning of the show is that there is a deadline on that. So make sure to get those to us, uh, by what were we saying? The 21st of June, I think is, is yeah. about where we were, where we were aiming for. So make sure to get those to us by the 21st of June. So we have time to incorporate them into the episode and uh, gather them all up and things like that. So that pretty much does it for us. If you want to reach out to me on uh, outside of the Discord, you can do so at, at, on Twitter at Rannick Alfredian. You can find Ben at BetaFish One or the podcast at DraftChaff Pod, and we'll catch you next week. Looking
1: forward to your questions. See everybody. So I have a genius or a grifter for you. Ooh, okay, I'm excited. Those that don't know, this is something that uh, obviously Limited Resources started. I I think really LSV himself started. But um, I'm going to give you a situation. Need you to tell me if it's Genius or Grifter. So I recently started following MTG Art Market, the the Facebook page that has somehow become the primary method of selling original Magic Gathering art. So all the artists are in there. Uh, It's pretty cool to be in the same Facebook group as like, Uh, Donato Giancola, and he'll just post something, be like, hey guys, I made something, and it's this gorgeous, like, oil, and we're like, oh my god, this is so cool, so half the fun is just seeing what's happening in there, Uh, but it's also like an auction house, so it's really organized, there's some really, honestly, I don't know how they keep up with it, admins in there that are always updating people, and they comment on every post, and uh, they, they always make sure everybody knows the rules and how it works, but it essentially works by commenting, and that's how you kind of place your uh, your, your, auction. So, uh, I was bidding on a few of the cheaper ones, uh, because there's actual art pieces in there. I think the one for, um, is it Drizd? Is that how you say the name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one for Drizd went for over $140,000. Wow. Which is, yeah. And this transaction happened via a Facebook comment chain <laughs> where wow. people were just like, "In." it started at like, like 10 K and it, it just got all the way up. Uh, But most pieces I see on there tend to go for uh, most ones done by like the big name artists go for between like eight and twenty thousand dollars, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I am nowhere near that level. Uh, I tend to look out for the sketches and like the color studies, which are cheaper in in, like the low hundreds when when the betting starts. Uh, So I recently noticed that uh, on one of the uh, one of these comments uh i'm not the most recent bet uh it's for uh the what is it called Ironfin whale from the new uh mh2 it's a really gorgeous thing and i have a lot of like beach themed stuff in my apartment uh i'm a surfer guy so i have i literally i have a whale painting up uh it's just out of frame Uh, i'll I'll, i'm not gonna grab i'll get it later uh to show off my whale painting but um so i noticed that people don't tend to comment at the last minute but you can the rules distinctly say that you are able to comment up until uh the very last second and then if there's a comment it'll extend it by a few more minutes but then that's it um so i also noticed that many of the people that are betting have facebook profile pictures that are older maybe not the most tech savvy so my genius or grifter uh waiting until the very last second to bet on a piece of art, knowing that the other bettors probably can't interact with the technology as well.
0: Uh, I don't think that's genius or grifter. I think that's using the rules as they're stated and making an assumption about your opponents that maybe isn't an accurate assumption one way or the other anyway. So Mm -hmm. I would say it's probably neither.
1: I don't know. I've seen how old people post on Facebook. Uh, sure,
0: but just because they have an older, an older profile picture or are older themselves, doesn't necessarily mean that they're less tech savvy. Sure, I would say yeah. that that's probable, but that also doesn't guarantee that you that you win the bid anyway because it still does extend the time.
1: It's just so. by like ten minutes or so. But I know some people that absolutely would take 10 minutes to figure out how to add a Facebook comment. Now this is like on a on a pinned post in like a group. Could take some people an awful long time to get there. I, I suppose I that's true.
0: I suppose that's true, but my estimation and my assumption is not that the people who are in this thing are unable to make comments because they're proving that they can because they already have. Mm -hmm. I would suggest they likely already know how to make a comment when they need to and would be able to put their their bid in should they want to anyway.
1: Fair, That's fair. But consider the fact that most older people might not know how to deal with Facebook notifications and they might not have their notifications turned on. So they might uh, think that they had placed the winning bet yesterday. And then I sneak in at the last minute and if, then, if they don't happen to check their phone within that 10 minute window or if they do and they just don't see the Facebook notification. I don't know. I feel a little griftery. I feel I a little grifty doing it. I don't <laughs> but think
0: so. I think I, I think I also think that you're like playing up the assumption that people are older, like that that makes that a problem. Like plenty of younger people miss notifications as well. Like it's just something that happens true. with auctions. That's true. So, so I guess I that the overall genius of grifts are either.
1: waiting until the last minute. Uh, because yeah, it is the digital medium.
0: I don't think it's either. I mean, that was like a thing with eBay. Like you could, there was no way to extend the bids. Like you could just literally at the last second submit a bid. And if yours, if it was higher than the highest bid, you just won it. Mm-hmm. And it's with, it's within the rule set of the thing. I don't, I don't see that as either.
1: Interesting. It sounds you're not, you're like not
0: really getting away with anything in my opinion, because plenty of other people could be doing the same thing.
1: So it sounds like you're saying genius. Alright.
0: No, no uh, I don't think it's either. <laughs>